You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. All right. Welcome everyone to episode seven of the Together in Literacy podcast. This is Casey and I'm here with Emily. Hello, Emily. Hi. And we have a very special guest with us here today. But before we introduce this amazing change agent for families that are dealing with dyslexia, we always like to begin the show with a review. And Emily and I are incredibly appreciative of the feedback from our listeners. So this listener is from Terry Jean C and she labeled it dynamic duo. These gals are experts in literacy and share their knowledge, both practically and powerfully. I am grateful that they are sharing their rich literacy background, educating listeners and targeting explicit ways to improve our nation's reading crisis. It is a must listen for all teachers. So thank you so much, Terry Jean, for that wonderful review. We really appreciate that. It means a great deal to us. And so if you enjoy our podcast episodes, if you would leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. And you might even get read on an episode. <laughs> that was really wonderful. Thank you so much to Terry Jean for that. All right. So today we have a guest. We are so excited about this particular guest that we have for you. And I know you're going to love listening to this episode just as much as we have had the pleasure of interviewing. So we have with us today, Dr. Lauren McClenny Rosenstein. And Dr. So we're going to call her Dr. Lauren. Dr. Lauren is the CEO and founder of Think Dyslexia LLC. And she delivers training and professional development for teachers and administrators at the district level, focusing on dyslexia awareness, dyslexia screening, and MTSS, or multiple tiered systems of support. Dr. Lauren's passion for educating, advocating, and bringing awareness to dyslexia at the domestic and international levels began in the elementary classrooms of private schools serving students with language-based learning disabilities. She has been a certified special educator for a decade, and she earned her Doctor of Education in Teaching, Learning, Leadership, and Curriculum in 2019 from Northeastern University, and holds a dual master's in special education and elementary education from Syracuse University, and a bachelor's degree in psychology from Syracuse University. You may also recognize Dr. Lauren from uh, Building Readers for Life. She has been a presenter at the summer virtual conference and will be again. And we are just thrilled to welcome her on the Together in Literacy podcast. We are going to be discussing dyslexia advocacy, 
We're going to be discussing some of the challenges that both families and caregivers may be facing and really how we can support families in their journey with dyslexia. So Dr. Lauren, thank you so much for coming today. Would you like to just share a little bit about yourself before we get started? Yes, Emily and Casey, first of all, thank you so much for having me on this episode. Uh, that was a, a grand introduction right there. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, so a little bit about me. I know that Emily read a little bit about the work that I've done. And, you know, I think what's really important for folks to, to know is I actually do not have dyslexia. I, I sometimes I think I confuse people who reach out and they're like, can you share your story of su success? And, and really, you know, I, I started off in a private dyslexic school and that was really where all of that knowledge of what it means to teach structured literacy and what it means to understand the science of reading. Now, I didn't even know that's what it was called then, but that was the only way that I knew how to teach the dyslexic brain. So it's just fascinating to really see how I went from a graduate program that was pretty cutting edge with inclusive education at Syracuse University, but really I, I knew nothing about dyslexia, but somehow landed a job at a private dyslexic school and didn't realize the really the skill set that was building a foundation that brought me to where I am today, like 12 years later. So that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell, I'm not going to go through like every school and all of that, unless everyone wants to know that, but you know, that that's kind of the, the starting point. And, and I, and I guess I should say, I was very privileged to train with a Norton Gillingham fellow. And that is, I didn't know, I didn't even know what that was until three years into me doing my practicum, understanding what that meant, and then getting deferred, which I know, Emily, you understand how rigorous the Orton-Gillingham Academy process is. So getting deferred was, was awful. But I mean, I really had a passion for, I've got like, this is something that I need to know so I can make a change. And so I'm just so grateful for all of the opportunities I've had. You know, that I just to piggyback on what were you were just saying where you noticed that there was a certain skill set that you needed yeah. when you're working with this population of students at that first private school. What were some of the things that you noticed like right away in terms of having that skill set? You know, and, I, and I'm not ashamed to say this, but I don't think I really knew until I left to go to public school. Yeah. Because I, I really, I think my only barometer was my student teaching placements in public school. But when, I don't know if folks listening, if you're educators, but like when you're in student teaching, that is a different feel. It's not your classroom. It's not your classroom management system. You're basically in someone else's room as a guest. And so I didn't know which way was up. My first year of grad school was insane. I took 40 credits in one year. Oh my gosh. So yeah, oh my gosh. It, was, <laughs> it was crazy. I went literally from undergrad, being a student athlete, having time, but practice. And then all of a sudden I was thrown into the real world of graduate classes, lesson planning for like five hours, going to student teaching placement, trying to find time to sleep. So it really wasn't until... It really wasn't until I went to public school and I remember I was so excited to show off my resume. I was like, I'm, you know, Orton Gillingham certified and I've worked with these students and they're going to hire me for these elementary positions. 
And then of course, life turns out differently than how you envision it. And I got offered a middle school position and nobody cared about my ordinary certification. (laughs) I was like, what's wrong with these people? I have a skill set. (laughs) Right. I know. And I don't know about you, Lauren, but back in the day, it was like when I was first getting Orton Gillingham trained people, you know, my work colleagues were like, well, what is that? And yeah. why, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, how are you going to use that? They were so puzzled. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the same experience that I had as well. I mean, when people started where in my area, you know, we're very much under Alta and, you know, certified yeah. academic language therapists. And so, you know, people were like, well, what is, what is that? What does that even right. mean? Like, you know, and in trying to explain the intensity of the work that we do um, is kind of difficult for if you haven't walked in those shoes. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I would actually tell people that was my dissertation before my dissertation. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <It's intense. Yeah. laughs> well, so Dr. Lauren, you know, I love hearing about your journey in the classroom and things like that, but what has kind of you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to watch you on social media and kind of see you grow your business and expand into more advocacy work. And so what would, you know, what was your journey, if you don't mind sharing with us in stepping into that advocacy work with families and educators? Yeah. So that it's, it's been exactly that Casey, a journey. And I don't think I've really, really committed in my head and verbally said that this is exactly what I really want to focus on until recently. And I think a lot of it is, so it's, there's, there's like two parts to it. So the first part is I want to help everyone. You know, we know in this space, the three of us and in our literacy world, especially on social media, like we are very passionate about getting this information to teachers. I mean, Emily, I know you have your teachers pay teachers page and Casey, you have tons of resources and we just want to educate everybody. But really when you're running a business, you can't have like 15 different client avatars. (laughs) And I think that's what makes it really, that's what made it really challenging where I was like, how do I serve all? But in, in regards to your answer, your question about families, I think I came to really love the family unit because when I was working in the specialized private schools, I would see how dyslexia impacted the entire family. It wasn't just, oh, we're going to pay 25, 30,000 for tuition and all is good. I mean, there was a lot of emotional baggage. There were a lot of parents that were really coming to the forefront with their emotional turmoil and being like, I had no idea that that I was the one that gave this to my child, you know, saying it in a negative way. And then I think it wasn't until public school was when I really realized these parents are struggling just to get an IEP. These parents have no idea how to help their child. And they're looking to teachers as the professional. And I've said this so many times, we are the professionals, but Unfortunately, we're not trained unless we go above and beyond to do what we've done, you know, get further certification, really delve into the science of reading. And so it just really gave me pause to say, you know what, parents need accessible information, but they also need to know, I truly believe that an intervention isn't enough. You can't just say, let's go see this, this literacy specialist twice a week and that's it. Parents need to know, well, where do I go? Who do I turn to? What questions do I ask? My child's depressed. My child has comorbid disabilities. And then when you take the middle school 
developmental stages. And I actually spent more, most of my career in the middle school years, Mm -hmm. that's where things got sticky, where Mm -hmm. you would have kids in eighth grade being diagnosed with depression, but really the root cause was literacy issues, but you had to address the depression first. So I think with the families, you have to really lead with love, but also provide like an arsenal of everything for them to really sift through. And and as parents, it's exhausting to have to parent, first of all, and then you have to like look up things and you don't even know what you're looking up. So I think for me seeing common theme that there were moms that were saying things like, I didn't know what to Google. There wasn't an Instagram science reading accounts to like go to. So that's kind of like the long version of why I do what I do. And I just feel so passionate about families needing to have that holistic approach. I I love that, Dr. Lauren. And and you're so right, because as parents and families start to understand that dyslexia is lifelong, right? The impacts are going to be there forever. And they may look different as we have different hurdles, but it's a journey. And I think it's so important to bring parents along that journey with us and with their students, because um, as you said, you know, in middle school, right, that anxiety kicks up and yes. a lot of our kids definitely have higher chances of suicide and things like that. So I think it is so important to bring that awareness to the students. And I, I love that you have, you know, your membership and all of these things that you're doing for outreach for families. So it's such an important piece. That is just such important work because, and and you said this so beautifully, that families don't just need to hear that sure, you know, go to this um, OG interventionist maybe twice a week and that's it. That's not all. There are so many other pieces that need to come into play here when we're dealing with and looking at it from a holistic point of view. And sometimes they need, parents need help with how to just navigate a parent-teacher conference. Right. Or how to help with homework, how to deal with you know, meltdowns when they come home from school. Exactly. It really just runs the gamut. There are so many different things. It's not just about remediating the Mm -hmm. dyslexia part. Right, right, exactly. That is so true. And I think that's a common bond that that the three of us have. I know that in our work, and that's why Emily and I started this podcast, because we know the importance of the equal importance of having the academic and the social emotional piece together. And as practitioners and therapists, that that's such an important part of our work. We can't just focus on the academic components because the social emotional piece is so important to address. And without it, you know, we really are leaving some gaps for our kids and their families. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that there's so many wonderful conversations about the science of reading, but I've mentioned this before. I think the conversations surrounding social emotional learning in conjunction mm-hmm. with science of reading really does need to happen more so than it is right now. And so that really was one of the goals of this podcast to be able to, to bring that to the forefront when we're talking about intervention and, and working with this population. So when we are thinking about all of the challenges that our students with dyslexia face, just for our listeners, for their perspective, can you provide what you think are some of the biggest challenges these kids face, or even adults too, we can get into that as well, but just people with dyslexia, you have found, what are some of their biggest challenges? 
I think the biggest thing that I can really say, and this is a general statement that obviously we can parse through, being misunderstood. You know, I think I think one of the well, I keep saying one of I don't know why several things that I have found when when I first started as a brand new teacher working in the specialized school was the common theme that these students were coming to the school because their self esteem was really low and they were told they were lazy or they were told that they weren't trying hard enough. I mean, we've heard this a lot. And I think that the misunderstood component is very complex. I truly do not believe any educator goes into education to ruin children. I don't. I think we go in and we definitely don't go in for the salary and the summer's off. I mean, of course, summer's off are great, but we know that teaching is a tireless, thankless job, but we do it to inspire. And so I find that when teachers are making comments like that or not wanting to adjust their instruction, I think the misunderstanding is they aren't equipped. And so when they feel that parents are being combative, if they feel that parents are questioning, then they feel defensive. And that's just human nature. If you're not really understanding someone's perspective and walk of life, you're going to be defensive. The problem is, is that as, as parents, our child like we think differently, like there's something that goes on in our brain when we feel like our child is being hurt or, or being attacked. And so that's when it gets very adversarial. And so I think the teachers don't understand. So therefore they're doing what they know is best, which is to say, well, you need to try harder or read that again, or our favorite, look at the picture and read the, <laughs> read the sentence, you know, but that's not, that's not good enough. And then the kids are misunderstood because depending on how old they are, they don't have the language, the vocabulary, the wherewithal to say, Dr. Lauren, I'm really frustrated right now because you've asked me this and I don't know what a digraph is. Like that's a lot of language right there. And then you have to address your emotions. So when we deal with kids, we have to look at, first of all, where they are developmentally. Do they have the language, the understanding to know I'm feeling frustrated right now. And, and I've learned actually working very closely with SLPs and OTs that we really have to, like, I don't want to say overteach, but we really need to explicitly teach self-regulation yeah. for our littles. Because mm -hmm. as, as you said earlier, they might come home and have a meltdown and we don't know what happened during the day, but all of that is behaviors communication. And right. so I just truly feel like there's misunderstanding with the teachers not knowing what's going on with the child. There's misunderstanding with the child may not be able to communicate what's going on to their parents and the parents feel like what's going on. So I just think that there are complexities. And I think the biggest word that came to mind is misunderstood. I agree. Yes. I definitely think that is just such a, a big and important term to use that can really encompass so many things. And you know, you brought up the subject of just having kids with, you know, teaching them to self-regulate, but just, I, and I don't think that we spend enough time really, whether you're a child or an adult, really expressing what you're feeling at that time right. or knowing what that is. We right. might say that we're, you know, burnt out about something, but that might mean that you're feeling scared or afraid, right. but how do we help kids, you know, communicate those true feelings when they're feeling fearful or angry or mm -hmm. confused and helping them to you know, 
call that what it is. For instance, one of the students that I was working with two weeks ago, we were having this conversation about we're not looking at the picture. Right. And, and he said, my teacher tells me to look at the picture, but you tell me not to. So who's right? Is my teacher oh. lying to me? Right, right. And this is a really, really powerful conversation. And, and we've ta- I've explained and talked about this so much. But when we think about like the mixed messaging that kids may be receiving and feeling misunderstood or having mismatched interventions. Right. I mean, it's just so much gets just muddled together. And how are we to see progress from that point? Right. Right. No. And that's a really, really, really good point. And kids do feel that frustration because we know that they have to work probably five to 10 times harder when they're not getting the right way that their brain is wired. And so when they're going to school, I mean, I had a, um, a middle schooler I was tutoring and his mom is actually in the academy. So she, she really hired me because she's like, I have to be mom. I can't be mom and be yep. the tutor. It's too much. So when we would debrief about lessons, she was so frustrated because she's like, and we were working on grammar. We were really doing structured grammar and sentence structures and all of that good stuff. But she was so frustrated because she's like, he sees you first thing in the morning. He gets it. He knows what these parts of speech are. And then he goes to school and then he's confused and then comes home and forgets everything that you taught him. Uh, And so it was just this frustrating thing where she knew as a mom what was going on, but she's like, I'm trying to find a specialized school to keep the continuity. But no, we know that that's a process too. It is. Yeah. And you know, kind of piggybacking on what you're talking about with the, the frustrations for, that parents often feel, right? Because they're they're trying to advocate for their student, for their child, and they may not know the language or they may not kind of understand that process or, or what's happening in the schools. But on top of that, um, what would you say are some additional challenges that parents or caregivers face when trying to help their, their child? So I was actually interviewing a neuropsychologist last week for my podcast, and I asked her a similar question. So I'm actually going to use her answer because it kind of disturbed me, not saying her answer, but just the answer she provided. And so she said that I've had people say to me, once they found my services, I've been looking for you for three years. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And she basically said that there is a lack of information for parents to kind of know where to start. So when we as practitioners, you know, have that knowledge of, well, we need the child to be assessed. We need the child to be diagnosed. Then we go through potentially special ed process. Well, we have that knowledge and we know that, Mm -hmm. but when parents know in their gut that something our caregivers are like, but my child is behind and they're frustrated and they're running away when I say let's read or whatever those signs are, they don't know what to look for. And so she was actually talking about, she has a business called Child Nexus where her vision is to get all these service providers in one network. So then when parents, like, for example, if I'm like, hey, I'm in Maryland and I'm, you know, working with students that need dyslexia service, that's a way to connect, but then I can say, oh, I know this neuropsychologist here, or I know this whatever here, there. So the fact that she said that there is this barrier, there's this Mm -hmm. lack of 
I can't remember how she worded it, but it was really disturbing that she said this person said it took her three years to find her. Yeah. And that really bothered me. And I was just like, we've got to do better, which is obviously why your podcast exists. My podcast exists yeah. and everything else out there exists. Well, and I think on top of that, you know, I, I think part of at least what I see part of why it takes parents maybe a long time to reach out to someone or to find the person that they need for their child is sometimes because we parents may not trust their gut. And, you know, you had mentioned for parents to trust their gut. And I'm a firm believer of that too, because Mm -hmm. oftentimes when parents come to see me at the center, they'll tell me, I, I asked about this in kindergarten. I asked about this in first grade and, you know, here we are in sixth grade and they're now we're in the process of, of having them with the schools do testing. And so I think for parents that that's frustrating, but I think as schools, we could do better in streamlining the process, but also being aligned in what we know correlates with research and testing. There just are so many barriers that exist for our students um, to get testing sometimes. I think that that is really frustrating for parents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And thanks to groups like the decoding dyslexia groups, they've been able to become that avenue for dyslexia advocacy and, and, and events and so forth. But when I'm in even the local chapter group here in Massachusetts, I still feel like searching for a neuropsych really is so word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Yes. First of all, parents might not be even sure that they, that's what, who they need to be seeking. Right, right. And second of all, they have no idea where to begin looking. I mean, of course, being in the Boston area, the first thing people think right away is the two big ones, Mass General Children's Hospital. But they don't realize that there are also private neuropsychs as well. And so what I see is a lot of these families, they go into these Facebook groups and they'll ask and Mm -hmm. they'll ask for word of mouth and things like that. And it's not really a place that we, that there is advertising happening. So I think that with this neuropsych that you interviewed, that is thinking of providing this service or directory of sorts, I think is going to be so, so valuable. And I hope that it's something that will be nationwide. I've spoken with her as well. Yeah, she's on Instagram. Yep, Dr. Karen Wilson. She's based out of LA. She's Mm -hmm. amazing. I've actually, I met everybody on Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) Uh on Instagram. (laughs) That's great. No, I think that is so needed though, because it's just one of these things that's just not. Right. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And I think to pick what Casey was saying with these parents, it's like, you know, you may have someone who had noticed these things in kindergarten and first grade, and here they are in sixth grade and, and, and finally getting testing. We've had cases where families are just sort of told like this whole unfortunate wait and see type situation exactly. where we know we really cannot get wait into that cycle. Right, cannot. right. So in terms of the dyslexia community, but even I think people, just the public, how they view dyslexia, mm-hmm. um, how does that impact our knowledge base? Sure. Okay. I understand what you're saying. I, I think we're so steeped in this world all the time that there are some things where I'm like, should I make a course on the signs and symptoms? You know, I'm just like, come on, everybody knows this. And they don't. Right. And so yeah. I think when I talk to people because now I'm in a space where 
when you meet people, especially like mom playdates, what do you do? So I don't say I'm a teacher anymore. I say, oh, well, I, I'm an edupreneur. I'm trying to use that word more often. And they're like, <laughs> what's your business? And I'm like, helping dyslexic children read and family supporting families. And they're always like, oh, that's like kids that can't read. Right. Or like, oh, that's just like floating letters. And, you know, at this point, I don't, I don't get angry about it anymore because I know there's a level of ignorance and ignorance in the, the very factual sense of they just don't know. And so I think that when it's all encompassing in that social emotional and how that really impacts self-esteem. And so I think that that is something that communities are just not fully aware of. I mean, I'm actually doing some parent coaching in my local area with Baltimore City parents. And they're really, I can't get to the meat of how to help your kid read and write until they understand like this is more than just that. And I know sometimes people get frustrated. They're like, I just want to know how to help my kid, but we got to take a few steps back here and get that foundation because maybe your kid's having a lot of behavioral issues because you're not getting that understanding that their self-esteem isn't where it should be because they're too embarrassed to read in class or whatever it is. So I think that there's just still lack of knowledge and understanding how like, what is that visual? You ladies probably know this visual of the iceberg where it's like the tip of what we see. And then there's tons of things below the surface yes. that don't even realize that are going on. I, I made one that I have yes. free download for dyslexia because yes. you're exactly right. People only see yes. the academic pieces or, and not even all the academic pieces. And they just do not understand the, those long lasting impacts that just are under the yeah. surface. So absolutely. Yeah. Right. right. Absolutely. Yes. I think that it's when you were saying at the very beginning of this particular question that we are so wrapped up in this discussion of dyslexia all the time. <laughs> so we, we feel like, are we being repetitive? Right. Is, is this still necessary? Do we still need to talk about this? You know, talk about this a lot or, or like, there's so many different things out there, but I think, yeah, we just have to keep plugging along and fighting the right. good fight. I think there still is such a need for it. And I think parents more than ever are really craving that knowledge for things, what to look for at home right. and how to help. They really, yes. really do want to know, how do I help my child? And I think educators as well are wanting to help along with the parents. And, and as you said, Dr. Lauren, we have to start those foundational pieces because the question yes. of, oh, will they read backwards or see things backwards is right. a daily one. And we all know that that yeah. is not true, right? right. <laughs> but you know, that is like the number one thing that comes right. up all the time whenever we're talking about dyslexia. And so again, it just, it always reminds me to come back to those foundational pieces and that we can't, you know, the more we can educate community and family and educators, the better it's going to be for our, our children. And so to kind of piggyback on that, if we're thinking, you know, kind of shifting the lens a little bit to educators, what advice would you give to educators and then also to parents to help them build a community for that team approach? At least I've found that that if we can really do a team approach, it's, it's beneficial um, if it's done well, but what, what advice would you have? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. It definitely takes a village and that even means with educators. I think the problem with this, and I've run into this with wanting to support teachers is there's always a cost to it. And mm -hmm. I don't mean just time. I mean, 
financially. And we know yeah. that teachers more than often, if their district is against science of reading, or if they're against understanding structured literacy, or if they're like, nope, this is what we've been using, teachers then have to go out of pocket yeah. to pay for their own training, to pay for their own communities. And there's a lot of frustration around, well, I need to keep educating myself, but I don't have the funds or my district's not supporting that. So yeah. It's, you know, I really feel like you need to find your people. You need to find, even if there's one teacher in your school that agrees with what, you know, you're doing and you're just trailblazing along, but just totally getting tomatoes thrown at you from everyone else. Like you just need to be confident in what you're doing because we know as practitioners that this works. And actually I was at a literacy retreat a few days ago and I heard Dr. Nadine Gabb speak and it was amazing. And what I loved about her, those of you who are not familiar with her, she's a neuroscientist and she works very closely with Harvard, does research about science of reading. She had a slide where she basically said the science of reading is not a political movement. It's not a fad. It's not a trend. Like she laid it all out. And I was like, this is 100% what people need to understand. And I think it's just obviously, as we know, with Soul to Story, there's controversy around folks not believing that this, this works or I didn't know that this exists. Whatever they were, you know, we know who those people are that are saying that. And so I think that my advice to educators is to find your your one person or your, even if it's someone in a Facebook group or someone locally or whatever it is, Just believe in what you're doing and just know that you are making a difference, even if it doesn't feel like you're around people who are believing what it is you believe. Yeah. Right. And I'll go back to what really sparked for me so, so long ago as a a young educator, fresh out of my master's degree and and, and in in teaching in a new school district. And we were we're in a book group and just started a book group. And we just started the brand new book, Overcoming Dyslexia. So it was that one, just starting something as simple as suggesting, hey, right, this great book, who wants to join me to, and, you know, virtually or, or in person and get maybe a little bit of grant money to purchase those books for some teachers, get together and ha- and just read and discuss. And you'll be surprised. Yeah. The discussions and the change that can come out of even something as simple as a book group. People get really, really supercharged and fired up about reading something where you feel like, wow, what an impact we can make. Um, And that really out of overcoming dyslexia, uh, we had quite a bit of very positive change in the school system that I was in at that time. So that's something that people think like, oh, you know, a book group or even sharing a simple article. And it's interesting Uh, for me because I feel very much, I've been in education now, this is my 25th year. So I've been around, I was around when the National Reading Panel came out. Oh, right. right? (laughs) And so I feel it's like very reminiscent to me of when the National Reading Panel came out and everyone was like, oh my gosh, you know, and all these conversations and disagreements and, you know, different perspectives and just coming, I always just encourage people like, go come back to the research. Like that that is something we can't, you know, ignore. Yeah. And it doesn't, (laughs) it's not your feelings, right? It's research. So it is just, for me, it's just a very interesting time to be in education again. So right, right. it really is. I know. Yes. It's an exciting time. All right. So 
Tell us a little bit, Dr. Lauren, about some of the services and perhaps some of the memberships that you offer that you can provide to parents, family members, caregivers. Sure. So I actually am shifting a lot of what I'm offering for free because I realized that there's power in free. <laughs> and there's really, you know, if we really want to enact change, we really need to make certain things accessible. So I have a few courses on dyscalculia and dyslexia and dysgraphia and all of that. And so all of those are free. I even have some parent coaching sessions that I'm doing with some families that's accessible for anyone to kind of join in and, and listen to that. So that is on my Thinkific page, which I can give you guys the links for that. I Perfect. also have a parent community membership, which I'm really excited about. Yes. This is $15 a month. There are about 10 of us in the community as of right now. I do have a neuropsychologist in the community and another Orton-Gillingham practitioner. Oh. So I love anyone who's listening. If you are a service provider and you want to join, I think that's fantastic because I'm just one piece of the puzzle. I don't have all the answers. I'm not an SLP or an OT. So I think it's it's really great to have this space. And so what that community looks like is I disseminate a piece of content once a month. It's usually the first of the month. And I'll put like a video with some resources and a little blog. And then it, this actually gets sent directly to your email, which I think is very convenient rather than having to go to another app or anything like that. And then the 15th, around the 15th of every month, I do group coaching calls. So this, this month, whenever anyone's listening to this, this is December, uh, this will be the first group call. So I'm really excited. I'm really prompting conversation around soul to story. My whole vision and intention for this space is for moms to hear each other's stories, connect, mm -hmm. network, talk to other service providers. And then there's also a monthly newsletter. And then I also have the holistic approach to an Orton-Gillingham intervention. And the reason being is because I do the tutoring but I also have mindset coursework for mm -hmm. parents. And I know that you all are familiar with me doing that for the Building Readers for right. Life conference. And I, I just truly believe like parents need to do affirmations. <laughs> parents yeah. need to pour into themselves because if we can really pour into ourselves and put our oxygen masks on, we can be better for our families and, and within this journey. So I do have three month and six month packages because I truly believe that you don't see a difference until about three months. And then of course I have my podcast as well. Dr. Lauren, tell us the name of your podcast so that they can find you. Sure. It's called the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast. And so- I actually, the first season, it's just me talking and I'm talking about some foundational work and how to prepare yourself for an IEP meeting, you know, things like that, the things that moms need to really know to walk in, the questions to ask in IEP meetings, things mm -hmm. of that nature. And then the second season, which I'm in now are interviews with moms. And I think that it's amazing because the vulnerability of these mothers and they're really putting their stories and their emotions out there. It's powerful to really see how many people are listening to them because I just ask the same four questions and it's crazy to see themes. I mean, it's just similar yeah. themes and it doesn't matter if you're in India. I, I, I actually interviewed a mom from India or if you're in Minnesota, it's right. like the same thing, but just different story. And so now I'm in, I'm actually 
interviewing for season three service providers. So very, yeah, very excited to have some neuropsychologists. I actually interviewed a former superintendent who she has dyslexic kids. So it's very personal to her, but she also was the leader of a school district. So I really want parents to understand what it looks like from that perspective as well. Yeah. And I've tuned into your podcast, Dr. Lauren, and I love that, you know, it's just creating the sense of community. And I think it's so important for people to realize that they're not alone. Cause it yes. feels, it feels so isolating to be on this journey sometimes. And you feel like, am I the mm-hmm. only one? Or, you know, if you're a parent and other, other parents are talking about their kids and how great they're doing in academics. And you're kind of like, I don't really know. I feel so alone, right. you know? And, and so I think you're just providing this opportunity for people to realize that you're not alone. There are, yes. like, there's a big group of people out here that are on this journey as well. So thank you for, yes. for putting that together. Yeah. Of course. Thanks for listening. (laughs) And, and, you know, if we can also, we can recognize that there are communities for so many things in life, whether there are challenges or not, there are communities for people, you know, maybe with diabetes, Mm -hmm. people who are, you know, on their infertility journey, there's a community for just about anything out there. So why not? Why shouldn't there be one for people where families can go and not feel so alone and and can ask questions, get advice, or just vent. <laughs> and that's another thing too. I mean, I agree with that. Sometimes these parents just want to complain. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously we have to have a solution, but there's right. a time and place for that or a good cry, you know? Right, right. I, I absolutely think, you know, parents do need like a safe place to feel like they can go and have that venting time. And, you know, sometimes. Hurt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we, you know, Casey and I, we may wrap up a session with a, a parent and, and they'll no, I've had parents break down to me after a session many times. Right. And so just having just one more opportunity, one more place where they can go and feel listened to yeah. so many times these people just feel like no one's listening to me. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's yeah. very true. So, so important. Well, Dr. Lauren, what is the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? Yes. So I think the quickest way is probably Instagram. So you can find me at the Dr. Lauren. And I know you ladies know that I've changed my Instagram yeah. account many times. <laughs> That's but okay. I, I finally committed to this and it's been good. So you can find me at the Dr. Lauren. I do have the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast account, but that's more of just putting podcast episodes up, but I'm, okay. I'm more accessible on my main account. Wonderful. Great. That's wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> and we'll make sure we add all of uh, Dr. Lauren's links and handles and all those things to the show notes as well. So you'll be able to see those there. Yes. And don't forget, we'll also have a blog post to a company this episode and all those links will be there in there as well all you'll have to do is just go to togetherinliteracy.com and we'll uh, you'll look for season two episode seven so when we wrap up today we have a question from a listener okay let me hear quite a bit <laughs> and the question is and dr lauren you are more than welcome to give your input what is the proper way to assess for When I get this question asked to me, it's usually people, either educators, practitioners, or parents that are asking, and they want to know what's the one test I need to give. And that always brings me back to, again, 
that deepening that foundational understanding of dyslexia, that it is not a singular test that's going to identify it because it's not a singular, you know, symptom or a thing that shows up, right? It's this cluster of characteristics and it's not singular. And so I think that's where that complexity comes in. And that's why we have to, that's why we need like neuropsychs to do the testing or certified diagnosticians or SLPs that have specialization in dyslexia so that we are really understanding dyslexia when we're assessing it. Right. And there are specific batteries of assessments, but Mm -hmm. when any one particular assessor, whether that be the school psychologist or a special education, SLP or neuropsych administers them, they're never going to to just administer one. And they'll be, it's a team approach unless you're doing a private eval with the neuropsych, but they will give a battery of different assessments, you know, looking Mm -hmm. at phonological processing, looking at uh, overall intelligence, written expression, oral reading fluency. There are a lot of different areas that they will look at and come together with a vast amount of data at the end from this report and compile it and share that. So, and from all of that data that they collect from the assessments, then they're able to determine whether that person does exhibit signs of dyslexia. So there's, as Casey, at the heart of all of this, there isn't just one particular Mm -hmm. test. No, I mean, I (laughs) I agree with everything you ladies are saying. And I think that that is a tough question because parents will say, well, what's the test? What's that one test? And I think that's where they start to realize how complex it is, where it's not just one test, it's several different tests. And then also mm-hmm. you have to look at brand, you have to look at their working memory. And you know, we're, we're of the mindset of earlier intervention and screener is, you know, is a better outcome for, you know, I don't want to say for the dyslexia to go away because it doesn't go away, but we know that we are rewiring that the brain, that plasticity is so important to really hit all of those components. And so I actually do some contract work with a dyslexia screening company, and we actually screen from kindergarten to first grade. And mm-hmm. so we, we know that that is a very pivotal, I'm sorry, pre-K to first grade. So right. we know that that is very, like, those are critical years. And so when we look at our um, assessments for pre-K, we're assessing for our sound symbol correspondence. So do our kids right. know letter names and do they know the sounds to those letter names? We're also looking at our phonemic and phonological awareness. Can they rhyme? Can they do first, first sound matching? And then we got to look at that oral language component what's their vocabulary look like and what's their oral comprehension. So I think when you look at that at a pre-K level, that gives you a lot of information to say, okay, this child's four, they're showing, you know, potential signs of dyslexia. So what interventions are we going to put in place to ensure that this child, and it could just be they're struggling readers, but either way, it gives us information to know where we're going. Yeah. It's going to lead us to that appropriate instruction for those students. And, and, you know, and we've, we've done episodes like this, where we've talked about those early indicators and that oral language is such an important piece for our preschool teachers and our parents to be aware of, because there are those early indicators that we can be very mindful of. And I think for me, that's always where I I really like to connect with my SLPs because 
Those are usually the kids that are tracking and they need to be on my, my radar because a lot of them end up being diagnosed with dyslexia as they yes. move through the literacy yes. pieces. And I think it's important to note when we're testing for dyslexia, when we're going through you know an evaluation, so forth, it's important to note that the, the results of these assessments will not only, because everyone thinks, oh, they're going to pull out all of the deficits and find out what's really wrong right child but at the heart of this we people forget that those assessments can also reveal the strengths yeah right and that's what we want to find out we want to know the strengths just as much as we want to know the deficits yeah and i think people forget that when they're thinking about it a full evaluation of dyslexia that people are also looking to see what this is these are some good things that are going on. So I think that's just an important distinction to make because it's always about, oh, what they can't do, what they can't do. Right, right. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Lauren, once again, thank you so much. And when, uh, Dr. Lauren is uh, Think Dyslexia LLC and she has some wonderful offerings for caregivers, for parents, and she would love to hear from you. I'm sure you can reach out to her. You can find her on Instagram with the Dr. Lauren uh, <laughs> and she'll have some links in there, but we will also include all of the links in our show notes. And of course, on the blog at togetherinliteracy.com. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.